Thank you, Carlos and, and choir. Beautiful, beautiful music this morning. Thank you to our orchestra for reminding us of the holiness of God and Jungsa for reminding us of uh, God's amazing grace. Um, not to preach my sermon tonight, but we're revisiting uh, the Psalms tonight in our chapel series. Um, I know I said I'd preach one sermon on each book of the Bible, but I felt somehow after I finished uh, Psalms out of all the Old Testament ones that I had not done that justice. So we go back to it tonight. And one of the things I notice about this Psalms, and I noticed it in this song that you just sung, is that there are seasons of our lives and seasons in worship that just call forth applause. And uh, we rejoice and we give God thanks. And then there are moments, do you know what I mean when I say that just call for a, a holy hush, just to be still and to know that God is God. And even within the movement of that song, there was kind of both. There was the rejoice, and then there was Psalm 103 talking about how God forgives all of our sin and heals all of our diseases. And, and I love that the Psalms show us the rhythm of life, that there are moments for rejoicing, and there are moments for stillness before God. And there are moments when we just want to applaud. And the truth is, every time our orchestra plays and every time our choir sings, I want to applaud because they just do such an amazing, amazing job. But there are times when what they do calls forth just a silence before the Lord, just to give thanks for His greatness and goodness. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for an amazing, amazing morning of music and testimony that we have already heard. And God, our prayer is that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sights. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In December of 2006, December the 8th, on New York Times Magazine, there was a full-page ad placed there by Yoko Ono in honor of the death of her husband, John Lennon. And what it called for was an international day of healing. She said, I always want December the 8th, the day when we remember my husband, John Lennon's death, I want that to be a day of international healing. One day, she wrote, we will look back and say, we healed ourselves, and so we were able to heal the world. And when I read that, I thought perhaps what you think. Oh no, Yoko. As good as that sounds, we can't heal ourselves. So how can we heal the world? We can't heal ourselves, but there is one who heals. And I want to remind you of him this morning in Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 45, helping the helpless. Would you open your Bibles with me? Let's stand together as we read God's Word this morning. Luke 9, verse 37. We're continuing our series on discipleship in Luke 9, leading us into thanksgiving. Luke 9, verse 37. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. 
And a man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. And while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask Him about it. You may be seated. I'm not so surprised at the helplessness of our world. At the neediness of the people around us. The startling thing in this story is not that there is a person in need because everywhere that Jesus went, there were people in need. And dare I say, everywhere that you and I go, there are people in need. What's surprising to us and to Jesus is that while the man is helpless and his son is helpless, somehow the disciples are also helpless. And I think when he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. He's speaking to the crowd that doesn't believe in him. He's speaking to those disciples. I know that because I think in Luke chapter 9 verse 1, the very first verse of this chapter, it says that Jesus gave them power over evil spirits. He gave them power over illness and they've already exercised that power. But Jesus and his disciples have been up on the mountain Jesus and Peter and James and John and the other nine have been down in the valley. I can't read this passage without remembering that Amy Grant song from years ago. You know, the the song, uh, I'd love to live on a mountaintop, fellowshipping with the Lord. I'd love to stay on the mountaintop because I love to feel my spirit soar. But I have to come down from the mountaintop to the people in the valley below. Or they'll never know that they can go to the mountain of the Lord. And it's right on the heels of this magnificent moment where these three disciples see Jesus in all of His glory that they come down and encounter human need. And Jesus, right before He rebukes the demon, rebukes them because He anticipates more from them. And to this day, I think the surprise in our world is not how mixed up people are and how messed up their lives become. I've been a pastor for 30 years now, and I am no longer surprised when people get into messes. I mean, I've sort of seen all kinds of messes in these 30 years, and I'm no longer surprised at that. What's surprising to me is not not the pain in people's lives, but sometimes the powerlessness of the people of God to address those needs. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. You go, therefore. A friend of mine had a dream recently. He says more than a dream. It was a vision where God said to him as he showed him all of the pain in the world, 
God said to him, I've given my church authority to help people. Now go and use my authority. How exactly do we do that? I know the temptation is when we see the pain in our world, just sometimes to sort of just cast our eyes down in despair and say, look what the world has come to. It'd be easy to do. The world is an awfully painful and helpless place. And unless we see the needs, we're not Pollyanna optimists who pretend like there's no pain. Unless we see the needs in our world, we're not able really to see the answer to those needs. Christians are not those who say, oh, you don't really have a problem. We're not in the denial business. We recognize the need. And it's interesting that it's right as they come down from the mountain. It says the very next day, in verse 37, the very next day. Why? Because there's no respite. Because worship does not give you an exemption from from pain in your life. Coming and seeing God in all His glory and hearing magnificent music and studying God's Word. That doesn't take away the reality that when you walk out the door, or even while we're meeting this morning, that some people are, are entering Memorial City Hospital in the emergency room. Because they're desperately sick. The pains of the world go on while the people of God worship. But this time together, if nothing else, ought at least to open our eyes to the reality that we live in a sin-sick world where there are so many needs. Notice the the helplessness of this father. He says, I I begged your disciples, I, I beg you, Jesus, even in that word daomai, there's this pleading there's this sort of longing and desire for the world to be a better place and particularly for his own son there's this sense in which my son needs help and I don't know where else to go I don't know how else to find help for him Donald Miller picks up uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge the 19th century poet's story how one night their three-year-old son uh, said to his mother during the night touch me mom and she says, why? And he says, I'm not here. Touch me so that I will be here. What he was trying to say was, I don't know if I'm awake or asleep, but if you touch me, I'll know whether or not I'm, I'm really awake. And Donald Miller says, a lot of life is lifting our eyes to God and saying, touch me so that I will know I'm here. And sometimes, inexplicably, God waits. And we wonder why there is such enormous pain in the world. The Father is is helpless. Isn't that what he's saying when he comes pleading with Jesus? Just see my son. He doesn't even ask him to heal him at this point. Just see him. I begged your disciples to deliver him from this, this evil. But they could not. And the powerlessness of the father is revealed in the powerlessness of the child. The child cannot help himself. Notice he's his only Son. Luke is the only one who sort of shows us in sort of rapid fire staccato fashion three different ones who are, um, who are the only child of their parents. The widow of Nain's son in chapter 7 verse 12. Jairus' daughter in chapter 8 verse 42. And then um, this man's son. And he says, my son, the only one. The only child. That raises the stakes, doesn't it? There's an urgency there. I don't have any other child and he's in such enormous pain. And when we hear the symptoms, we may think, well, this is epilepsy, isn't it? This person has epilepsy, except the scripture doesn't leave it at that. It says that there's spiritual forces at work here. 
Norman Mailer says, if you don't believe that there's a God and a devil, I'm not calling you crazy. I'm just saying you're intellectually malnourished. Because in our world, there is evil. There are forces of evil at work that would destroy us. The scripture is more explicit than that, isn't it? Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But it goes on to say, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The father is helpless. The son is helpless. But how is it, verse 40, that the disciples are unable? It's the actual negative of the word dunamis. They are undynamic. They have no power. They they reach out their hand as if to help. But when they do, nothing happens. Can I just confess to you that, that in the face of illness, I sometimes feel the most helpless Usually these days, just being honest, when a couple comes to me and says, we have tried everything and we have not been able to conceive a child. Infertility to me. When I see a child who is ill, I've shared with you at New Hope how in those last seven months, fully four children, infants, died. And in that period of time, there was this sense of, what can we do? I'm sure the disciples felt awful about it. They might have made excuses. They, they might have said, well, you had our three best players up on the mountain with you. Peter, James, and John weren't here. They, they could have used the, the Texans' excuse. They could have said, well, we didn't have Andre Johnson. We didn't have Arian Foster. We didn't have Mario Williams. How are we supposed to win games without those guys? But there is Luke chapter 9, verse 1, where Jesus says, here's the authority. Go and do what I've asked you to do. I, ad- I admit readily, it's a helpless kind of feeling. Sometimes when people come to me and say, here's what's going on in my life. I called my mom this week. We were out in Amarillo for the convention. And, and I just uh, got her on the phone. She grew up in Amarillo. And I said, okay, so give me the addresses again. Let's, let's, let's go down memory lane, you and me, on the phone. And so I went to the house where she was raised, right there behind the, the Boston Greenery and uh, Right there, they cut a highway through there. And, and I said, now, where was the house that you took me home to when I was first born and found that place? And I said, now, where is the cemetery where grandma and grandpa are buried? And I went to that cemetery and I found the place, and, uh, amazingly, found the place where they were buried. And I was reminded again that my grandmother, whose brothers lived into their 90s, one is 95 years old, still driving a car up in Nampa, Idaho. He mows his own yard and takes the preacher to dinner every Sunday. I'm not hinting at anything. I'm just telling you what he does. <laughs> my uncle, Levon. But my, my grandmother, his sister, was in her 50s when she was afflicted with, with an illness. And, and while I was there in Amarillo, one of my very best friends called me and said to me, I've just been diagnosed with the same illness. And I remember that song that says, we're all just one phone call from our knees. Just one phone call from our knees. Bill Pinson, who was the president of, uh, or the executive director of, of Texas Baptist for so many years, has a grandson named Brooks, who used to be a member here when his family was here. And he's roommates with my nephew who is also last name Brooks Mason Brooks and they're quite a a pair they love the Lord and uh, involved in missions and things but Bill used to tell about when uh, Brooks was a little boy and he was playing in his grandfather's study and his grandfather had one of those beautiful globes you know 
picture like glass, beautiful globes, just so he'd have a picture of the world that God created, the world that God wants to redeem. And the boy was playing with the globe, and he spun it so hard that it spun off its axis and on the ground. His grandfather ran in the room and said, Are you okay? And the little boy looked up at him and said, I'm okay, Grandpa. But the world is broken. And I can't fix it. Well, it is. And it's true. We could just cast our eyes down in despair and say, look what the world has come to. It is shattered. That, that's the word that the father uses about his son. If you read in the ESV, it says this evil spirit shatters him. And rarely ever leaves him alone. What I love about the early Christians, was it E. Stanley Jones who said, someday you'll say, he, he said that quote over and over again, all those years he was our pastor. Was it E. Stanley Jones who said, the early church succeeded because and only because they did not cast their eyes down in despair and say, look what the world has come to. But instead, they lifted their eyes in delight and said, look who has come to the world. And everybody else in this story is helpless. But not Jesus. So after Jesus rebukes them, then he rebukes the demon. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then Jesus heals the boy. And this is my favorite part. And he returned him to his father. You get the picture? Just kind of... Dusted him off, you know, good as new. Here he is, your boy who's always been broken, is now whole. Our God is in that business. This is the work that he does. This is what he is about. And when we see this story and we hear this, we realize that our God is in the business of mending broken lives. If we bring him all the pieces, he is able to put them all together, even if all the king's horses and all the king's men can't, the king can. God can. Barbara Brown Taylor, one of my favorite writers, tells about being on one of the barrier islands and seeing a loggerhead turtle, picture great big turtle, making her way slowly up the beach to lay her eggs. And Barbara Brown Taylor said, I watched Saltwater tears streamed down her face as she delivered those eggs into the ground. I left her for a moment thinking this was a moment for her to be alone. I came back the next day looking to see if I could find where she had buried her eggs, but instead found tracks. She had gone away, but in the wrong direction, over the sand dunes. I followed her tracks and found her fairly well baked there in the sun. And I ran to the water with a bucket and poured water on her and put sea oats on her. And then I fetched a ranger, and the ranger came. He had seen this scenario before. He flipped her on her back, threw chains off the back of his pickup, hooked them to her front legs and dragged her across the sand. While, while, while her neck bent backward and she had sand in her mouth, he dragged her over the dunes and then when he got her to the water, flipped her back over and a big wave revived her. And then another and another until one was large enough to lift her and she kicked off and went back and she swam back into the ocean. She swam 
to life. And Taylor says, it occurred to me, when you're being rescued, you never quite know whether they're killing you or saving you. Here is the boy coming to Jesus who is the only answer and he's coming to Jesus and, and right then the demon throws him down and causes him to foam at the mouth and he screams and he's being shattered and then Jesus heals him and hands him back to his father. And then this amazing verses 43 to 45 where Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I'm going to be betrayed I've been telling you. Remember he said to him, if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And there are people in that crowd who are there just because of the miracles. And Jesus says, you know, I have to die. And it seems morbid to us for Jesus always to be talking about dying. In fact, the commentators I read this week didn't know where to put this, this passage. They, they said, maybe it goes in the next section. Maybe, you're, maybe your Bible has it that way, in the next section. I think it goes right here. And I'll tell you why. Because if Jesus had not been betrayed, none of us could have been healed. If he had not died our death, we never could have lived his life. Here's the deal. It's, oh no, Yoko, it's not December the 8th. It's either in March or April every year when we call Friday good. On that day, we remember that Jesus was betrayed. And watch this. Watch how this is fulfilled in our lives. Because it was on that day, it was on that day through his crucifixion and his resurrection that Jesus finally countermanded evil for all time. It was on that day when he healed our souls. It was on that day when he handed us back to his father and if Jesus had not identified himself with us if it weren't for the gospel that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead you and I would still be lost but the good news is that for this man's only son for the widow of Nain's only son and for for Jairus's only child his daughter the only son of God was the only one who could heal this only son. And he still is the only one. But whoever believes in him and receives him, to us he gives the power to be called the children of God. And he gives us back to our Father. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your amazing love. We need you more than we've been willing to admit, maybe more than we know, Lord. We need you. And I thank you, Lord, that you who passed by this man that day and healed his son, that you are in this place. You are among your people. And I pray, Lord, the authority that you've given to us, we would use for your glory alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.